Good morning. If you're joining us here maybe for the first time today, we're working through a series of messages on the book of Titus. And there's a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom for us here at Maple Grove. And I know you'll listen carefully as we read our text. Thank you, Jeff, for your comments as well. The island of Crete had had to be a dreadful place to minister. I mean, I mean, think about it. They were trying to build a church here, but according to one of their own prophets, the people there were all liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. I bet they had a church supper every week. What do you think? I mean, the people of Crete were pagan and spiritually really hardened. But the Apostle Paul and Titus had established this church there. God had blessed the, the beginnings of it, and it was growing. After Paul had left the island, he sent back some instructions to Titus to set the church in order. And first chapter of Titus instructed this young disciple to stand firm in the truth, choose leaders carefully, and be on guard against legalism. Then he comes to chapter 2. And here he encourages the importance of setting a positive example for younger believers who've just been kind of introduced to Christianity. So you see, it's not enough just to proclaim the truth. As we're going to see today, we also have to model. We also have to reflect it, serve as living examples of this truth in our lives. One of General Patton's soldiers told about a time when they were marching across Europe and they came to a swollen river. And the soldiers began to complain. They just said, well, there's no way we could get across this river carrying our backpacks and all these things with us. And General Patton didn't say anything at all. He just waded into the river himself and swam to the other side of it with the backpack that he had. Then he turned around and swam back across the river, looked at his men and said, follow me. And without protest, every one of the men in the battalion followed him across to the other side. One of the greatest needs that we have in the church, not just now, but forever, for the future, is to have positive role models. We're inspired more by example than we are by instruction. But many of the popular heroes of our times are seriously deficient. It doesn't take you long to pick up on that. Athletes don't always model a very positive lifestyle. Politicians and entertainers are into all kinds of things. Religious leaders also can be found hypocritical or self-centered. And if the church is ever going to stand strong, especially in an increasingly pagan culture, we're going to need mature Christians who inspire people by the way that they walk for the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Titus chapter 2, Paul gives some instructions to three separate groups of leaders in the church. And first he speaks to teachers. In verse 1 he tells anybody who teaches, particularly Titus, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. I mean, Paul's speaking to anybody who's a Bible study leader, Sunday school teacher, youth leader, to anyone who is trying to instruct others in how to live. I mean, this is a big deal. Listen to what James wrote in James chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, 
my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, that may not be the best verse if you're trying to recruit new teachers, even children's workers, but nevertheless, that's what it says. Not many should be teachers because you're going to be judged more strictly. And when you first accept a teaching position, there's, you know, there's some glamour maybe in the, in the offering. It's, uh, it's uh, exciting to think that you'll be able to affect and encourage people's lives and make a difference. People will compliment you, encourage you, and, uh, and it's good. But it's not long till the glitter wears off and you find that teaching is hard work. Preparing for every lesson, sermon, if you're an adult teacher, then, uh, you know, you may get criticized maybe about the way you approach the class or some things you might say. If you're a children's worker, you may find that people taking you for granted. And then one day it hits you. This is a serious responsibility. In some cases, long-term commitment. And then you think, if I'm not careful, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But one day it also hits you that, you know, some people are actually listening. And the message making a difference in some of them. So understand, the Word of God is powerful. It does change lives. It makes a difference. Anyone who teaches it or preaches it has a serious responsibility. And God is going to hold us accountable for what we say. And we will be evaluated more strictly. So it's a, big, it's a big deal. Over time, I've come to believe that there are more people called to teach than actually end up teaching. But God would not bless a church with an abundance of children without equipping workers to help there. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.16, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And we teach and we preach because we care about you. I picked up on this calling at an early age and have been blessed to have still be able to do this. But never has there ever been a time I've ever come into the pulpit where I have felt that what we're doing was trivial. This is an important time in the service. I think our time around the Lord's table is, is vitally important. And, and we need to focus on the Lord. With this few moments we take every Sunday, and Nick and I, we will do the very best we can to prepare for you. But it's God who speaks. He takes the truth that we preach from Scripture and He applies it to the hearts of those who listen. And that's what we're so excited about to see. I'm compelled to preach, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. You know, if the gospel really does save people, and I believe it does, if Christ really changes people for the better, and I believe he does, then we cannot help but share that which we have received, that which we know, even if it's risky. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. We teach and we preach the gospel. It's called good news because we want to be found faithful in this duty that the Lord has assigned to us. So for current and future teachers, listen carefully. A teacher has a dual responsibility. 
The first is to teach accurately. Again, verse 1, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. All of our messages, we, we come from Scripture. Everything's the foundation, the grounding of what we teach you comes from the Bible. And if we were to suddenly begin to alter the teachings of the Bible, then what we're doing is we're usurping the authority of God and we're endangering the eternal destiny of our students. It's a big deal. One, once during an air traffic controller's strike in South Texas, there was a shortage of air traffic controllers. That, that could be problematic. But anyway, one pilot radioed the tire, tower and he asked for permission to land, and the controller said, Delta 288, you are cleared to land on runway 9. But just a few moments later, the pilot heard the very same controller say, United 248, you're cleared to land on runway 27. And the pilot immediately radioed the tower and he said, Tyler, you just cleared me to land on runway 9 and cleared United to land on 27, and it's the same runway, just opposite directions, east and west. We're going to be coming right at each other. And there was a long pause, and the controller said, now, y'all be real careful out there. You hear? Now, you know, you might not think of it this way, but when preaching and teaching, we really are dealing spiritually with some life and death issues. We're dealing with heaven. We're dealing with hell. And we just can't be casual about our teaching as if it doesn't matter. The Bible instructs us to be diligent and faithful in our study of God's Word. Paul writes in Galatians 1.8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And as our church looks to the future, we must maintain a solid commitment to teach God's Word accurately. But the second responsibility of a teacher is also a big deal. It's called, we've got to live it out faithfully. Titus 2 verse 7 says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. And in your teaching, show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. See, if you teach the truth, especially in our current culture, well, some people are going to oppose you. They don't want to hear that they're accountable to God. They don't want to hear that there's absolute moral standards of right and wrong. Our culture doesn't want to hear that you should be faithful in marriage. And Paul tells us to expect that and to silence them by our lives. The example that we set. Live in accordance to what we teach. Why? So that they will be ashamed that they cannot find anything bad to say about us. And again, we're back to the whole point of this. You are a role model. Every one of you, every one of us are role models for somebody. Someone is looking up to you. Someone is watching your life. And if you're going to teach and claim to be a Christian, then we have a responsibility to be consistent in how we live. 
and what we say. I like what William Barclay once wrote. A saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. That's a great definition of a Christian, I think, too. Now, the second group Paul addresses here is to older men. In verse 2, he writes, teach the older men to be temperate. Now, by older men, Paul's not necessarily referring to some of you, that, well, I'm sorry, some of people that have one foot in the grave. That's not what he's talking about. He's referring to mature Christians who have been in the faith, and they should be older and mature in their faith. You may be 40 or 50, you could be a senior citizen, but you should still have a positive influence on younger Christians. He says, teach the old men to be temperate. And the King James Version translates this word sober. One contemporary verse says serious. And while it doesn't mean you can't laugh, you can't, you know, enjoy what we do, it does mean that we take life seriously. You realize that there's something more than the next ball game or the next fishing trip. And young men in the church need to see Christian men who, yes, they can laugh and have a good time, but they can also, you hear them pray and talk about their faith and share the gospel. I was still in my teens when I was called to preach at a small church in Kentucky. And I came under the influence of a group of, of godly men and these men mentored me for 10 years. Jewel Casey, he was the church treasurer, became a dear, dear friend of mine. Arch Sheely, he was uh, our, our senior elder. His son Charles Sheely also was an elder. Lester Murphy, Bill Shouse, all of these men I've just mentioned have already made their journey to heaven. But you know what? Their influence is still being impacted today in my life. Paul calls Titus to also teach these older men to be worthy of respect. This is not a big deal in Oriental cultures because older people are automatically respected more. Grandparents are revered as well they should be. Amen? All grandparents here. How many grandparents do we have? All right. Anybody ashamed of being a grandparent here today? No. No, but I mean, you know, it, it's a big deal in my, my opinion. But it's not necessarily in our culture. We idolize youth. We idolize vitality. I heard about an old man one time who actually put braces on his false teeth so he would look younger when he smiled. <laughs> Nobody in our church here would do that. I know that. See, we don't put much value on the wisdom and experience like maybe of previous generations. And that's not really a good thing. But in the church, regardless of culture, we are to show respect for older people. If you're an older Christian, Paul says that you should be worthy of respect. Make it easier for people to respect you by being self-controlled. This word used here and elsewhere is, I mean, is living sensibly, wisely. Such, such people remain level-headed and they, they live a steady and they have a steady influence on others. And then Paul tells Titus to teach the older men to be sound in their faith, not to be drawn away by every new spiritual thing that may pop in. He tells them to teach the older men to be loving. See, there can be a tendency of some older Christians 
And I know you won't believe this, but it's, it's, it, it could be that we get cranky as we get older. And don't be looking around at anybody. You know, I mean, that's, 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 we've got to be sensitive to this. Sometimes we can become super dogmatic about things, but a Christian should become more unselfish and more compassionate with age and have a positive influence on others. And then he says to teach the older men to practice endurance. We have a dangerous practice here in America. I'm going to probably shock some of you. But you know what it is? It's a dangerous practice. Don't see it much in other countries. It's called retirement. Oh, whoa, retirement. And it can be a blessing in some ways. But it's also dangerous because of what it implies. Listen to me. It implies that your productivity stops when you get to be 62 or 65 or 70 or whatever. And it's dangerous also for the church because, you know, people are looking forward to retiring so they can get out of all responsibility and do what we want to do. But yes, focus your interests if you like and whatever, but you should never ever abandon your responsibilities to the church in a sense. You, you, you don't just quit. You don't drop out of all responsibility. And while we need the vitality of our youth and our, and our children and our young people, we also need the example and the wisdom of those who are older. And if all of us have retired and got out of Dodge, where is that going to come from? The Bible has many examples of people who kept enduring until the end. Moses was 80 when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Caleb was 85 when he conquered the hill country of Palestine. Simeon was an old man of the temple when he held the baby Jesus in his arms. And history has all kinds of examples of people, you know, that don't want to lose their purpose or they think they will after they turn 65. Picasso was 75 years old and he dominated the world of art. George Bernard Shaw was still writing plays when he was 90. Michelangelo did some of the best painting he ever did after the age of 80. Ronald Reagan was a president into his late 70s. And if God permits you to live long, you continue to serve and be an inspiration to those who are younger. I don't think that ever changed. I don't think that responsibility ever disappears. Matthew 10, reminds us, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then the third group Paul gives counsel to is to older women. Now here's where I need to tread softly. Yeah, I could get on the guys pretty easy, but, this, but it's, it's really strong stuff here too for you ladies. And keep in mind that this is Paul the apostle that's saying this and not Rick the preacher, okay? Can you kind of make that distinction? He says here, he gives counsel to the older women in verse 3. He said, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live. How many of you remember a TV show called The Golden Girls? Any of you remember that, uh, that series? Y'all, a few hands coming up. Yeah, even, even some young folks know that. That may not be a good idea. But anyway, but I mean, it's, the premise of the show is when... The, it, it, it's, it's funny when older women are irreverent. That was, that's the premise of the entire show. And 
But really, it's just the opposite that is true. I mean, once you get over the shock value, there's not a whole lot of being humorous about raunchy old women. I mean, that's just my opinion. And my wife's not here, and my mother-in-law's not here, and I feel a little more freedom, you know. And they seldom ever tune into the broadcast, so I'm covered, provided you don't rat me out, okay? But, I mean, this is, this is a major problem. There's so much that is attractive about poised and respectful and spiritual older women. But there's much that's attractive, especially of those old, about older women who are faithful to the Lord. Paul counsels Titus to teach the older women also not to be slanderers. That's just a long word for gossip. Gossip's a temptation for everybody, but it can be a particular temptation to older women. When someone comes to you with a juicy bit of gossip, saying to you, let me share something with you, but don't tell anybody. Well, then you just say to them, well, it'll be just as safe with me as apparently it's been with you. Yeah. Christians should be examples of talk which edifies and encourages. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And why? So that it may benefit those who listen. Paul also instructs Titus that the older women should be cautioned about being addicted to much wine. I read that the Chinese used to have a slaying, a man takes a drink, and the drink will eventually take the man. Alcoholism is one disease that has to be self-diagnosed to be treated. And there's scores, scores of respected individuals who've been wise enough to say, you know, I'm... I am developing a dependency that I can't control. And I better get some help now, or it's going to overwhelm me. 2 Corinthians 1 4 reminds us that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the very comfort we ourselves have received from God. And if you've gone through trouble, which I imagine you have, you can be a help to other people. Nobody understands the trouble like someone who's gone through it. And this is the idea behind support groups. And if God helps you overcome a problem in your life, you're in a unique position to help others that are going through similar things. Titus 2.4, Paul reminds Titus of a special ministry that older women have also. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. To do what? To be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husband so that no one will malign the word of God. And it's that kind of witness that you're in a unique position to provide. Younger Christian women are going to need faithful, solid examples of the faith. They're going to need inspiration as they move through into the future. And that is the role and ministry of mature older ladies. And it's so important that you don't let this next generation down in these areas. Because if you honor what's being said here, then you'll be in a position to teach what is good. Proverbs 31.30 tells this, Charm is deceptive, 
Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. More than 20 years ago, I was encouraged by something I read in a book by Dr. J. Wallace Hamilton. Sometime over the years, I've loaned the book to somebody, and I don't know, I don't have it anymore. But I do recall one chapter in the book that really stayed with me. I've quoted it a lot at funeral services, and, and uh, the part of the chapter is titled, How Long Is Your Shadow? And really what they're talking about with that, your shadow they're mentioning is your influence. And by the way, everybody has influence. Every, all of us have influence on someone. I mean, you may not always think about that. But he goes on to say that it, it, when, like when we walk outside, you cannot control your shadow any more than you can stop having a shadow in the sunlight. We can't control our influence as much as we think we can. When Simon Peter walked on the streets of Jerusalem, remember that? And people tried to touch his shadow. They knew he was doing amazing things for God. Every one of us exert an influence. And you need to ponder that and think about that a little bit as you go home today. Because somebody's watching you. Somebody's paying attention carefully to your lifestyle, your speech. The evidences that they can see whether you really do believe what is happening here in this church once a week when we come together here. This shadow is an awesome thing. In the book, J. Wallace Hamilton made two points that are worth remembering this morning. First, your influence, for the most part, is unconscious. We hardly ever notice our shadow on a sunny day as we're walking down the street. We don't pay attention to it. We hardly ever think of our influence on others, but it's there. We think we're going to influence people by performance or by intention. But in reality, what we influence, we influence and exert influence the most when our guard is completely down, when you're just being you, whatever the context, whatever the circumstance. We don't even think about how we influence others. We say, well, our kids are growing up. I need to influence them. So we sit them down and we talk about clean living and they, they ought to believe in God and how to handle money and all. And we say, now there, there I've done it. I've influenced my kids. Maybe we have. Everybody kind of needs those heart-to-heart talks. But that's not where influence really is. What really speaks to our children is not the, some speech that you put together trying to impress them. It'd be like what Jesus said. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Saul does not notice very much, but it does make a difference. And your influence is going to be mostly unconscious. It's going to be the sum total of how you let the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit shape you and, and guide you based on Scripture. That's where, that's where the, the formative stages of our influence are going to be begun and gauged but most of it will be unconscious to you. And then secondly, your influence has almost an immortal quality to it. 
like the ripples that flow out when you throw a rock into a pond, our influence goes way beyond our ability to see. You touch one life, and then that life touches another life, and then another. Did you know that even a man's or woman's death does not destroy their shadow or stop their influence? J. Wallace Hamilton died years ago, and I'm still encouraging people by what he wrote. A person may write a book or leave a will or maybe just leave a memory. But though their voice is silent, they go on speaking and will continue to through their lengthened shadow. I mean, who knows how your life, who knows how that life will influence somebody way on down the road. As the children's rhyme says, I have a little shadow that goes in and out of me. And what can be the use of him is more than I can see. Indeed, it's more than we can see now. So what makes a shadow? Well, it would be the sun, light. What it is that makes a positive, consistent shadow in the life of a Christian? What's that look like? Well, it should be the Son of God that serves as a reliable reflection. And that's why it's so important here at the church. Maple Grove is his church, you know that. But that's why it's so important we model the truth all the time. You and I have no idea who's going to be touched by our shadow. We may never live to see all the impact. By the way, J. Wallace Hamilton suggested that's why we're not going to be judged immediately when we die. We have to wait till Judgment Day. Everybody does. And the reason why being all the returns aren't in yet. The impact, the full impact of your faith today, your belief systems today on the next generation, your full, the full gamut of your shadow is not known to us and will never be known until glory. And my prayer for Maple Grove Christian Church for the future is that it will stand firm on the solid foundation laid by the godly men and women of the past. This church has been around a long time. And things that were set in motion then, we are still practicing today. And we will cast our shadow onto the next generation. And I have confidence that if we will continue to listen carefully, follow faithfully, that that shadow will lead to some exciting new possibilities for this church down the road. And it's my prayer that they finally get the road fixed so we can, so that all those new generations can find their way here safely. Yeah. Wouldn't that be good? And especially those who live really close to the church who have to deal with this every single day. See, many of us just, to, you know, you just come for the moment. Let me pray with you as we have our closing of the service. And then we have our, our communion time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you have been teaching us through this little letter Paul wrote to Titus. 
And as we continue to move through this letter for the next few weeks, Lord, help us to understand what a shadow that the Apostle Paul cast. And then Timothy and Titus and others of his disciples, others of those who sat at the feet, not only of Paul, but of Jesus. Even to this day, they still cast their shadow into our path. And Lord, as we intersect with truth, may we embrace it, believe it, and practice it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.